You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, well, we, um, it's good to come together. If you're joining us online, we just want to give a special welcome to you this morning as well. And uh, uh, for, for one reason or another, or online today and weren't able to be here, uh, we just want to encourage you to write down uh, who you are and, um, and let us know you're with us. Well, we are back into Genesis again as we, uh, we will get out of chapter 3 eventually here. Uh, but it has been uh, rich as we've been studying Genesis 3. The last month we looked at the curse of Satan, which also brought the promise, uh, the first uh, good news to mankind that there would be one who would come. We looked at that in depth last month uh, as we uh, thought through uh, what has Christ done in the fulfillment of that promise, thinking about joy and peace. Uh, and things like that as a result of the fact that we um, know the one who was to come. And he's coming back again. And uh, some of you here this morning are more excited about that than others um, because you had a hard week. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I was uh, doing this last week is we were at a wheelchair appointment for Hope. She was getting a new adjustment on her wheelchair and in the room there was this like mural painted on the wall and it said this it said fighting um fighting every every single one of us is fighting a hard battle so be kind to everyone so be kind to everyone you meet your is uh, sorry how did it go here be kind for everyone you meet there you go is fighting a hard battle what do you think about that? Is that true? Be kind to everyone you meet because they are facing a hard battle and are fighting a hard battle. I was like, actually, that's, that's pretty biblical, actually. Um, we should be kind uh, to everyone. We are to love everyone as believers. And everyone is fighting a hard battle. Uh, we live under the curse. Did anybody know that? Um, you're not in heaven yet. Okay, just, a, just a reminder. And, I, and I'm kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek, but I'm also not saying that in tongue-in-cheek because I think sometimes we think that life owes us ease. That life should be, you know, raising children shouldn't be a hard job. You know, that you tell them what to do. Okay, mom and dad, and they do it, and there's no problems, right? In your marriage... You always think exactly the same. There's never any conflict. In your job, you come up with great ideas and there's never any problems. Like, we, it sounds kind of laughable when we say it out loud, but we kind of expect that sometimes. And when that doesn't happen, we get frustrated. We get angry. We, some of us get depressed. Wondering, why is life like this? Well, I want us to be reminded this morning as to why life is like this. It's because we're under the curse, the curse that we're going to see in Genesis three, sixteen to 19. But as we look at that this morning, I want us to, to be reminded that this is our reality, but hope has come. Again, as we've been thinking about this last month, Christ has come, and there is one who has taken the curse for us, 
And there's one who is coming who will end the curse, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so, this morning, if you've had a hard week, I'm looking around at you. Some of you have had a hard week. Some of you had conflict on the way into church this morning. Uh, Some of you are not sure what to do with your kids anymore. Some of you are wondering whether or not to hand in your resignation on Monday. But there's hope in Christ. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Let me pray for us and then we're going to get into the text. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. God, you have revealed yourself to us through your word. You have given us hope. You've given us life through Jesus Christ. And this morning, Lord, as we look at this text and we're reminded about sin and the curse in which this world is under right now, God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. God, we... We desperately need to see the world as you see it. We need to see you as you really are. And we need to see ourselves as, as to who we really are. And Lord, we can only have that clarity through your spirit leading us through your word today. And so God, we come before you desperately. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 3, if you don't have a Bible... Uh, slip up your hand. Ushers be happy to give you a copy of God's Word, but we want to look at the Word together, Genesis 3, 16 to 19. Uh, maybe you don't have a Bible. If you don't, just keep the one they're going to give you, but uh, just slip up your hand so we can look down at the Scriptures together. Let me read Genesis three sixteen To the woman, now again, reminder, Satan has just received his curse. To the woman now, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face... You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In life under the curse, we experience four things. Four things. First, in life under the curse, we experience the pain of motherhood. The pain of motherhood. After dealing with the serpent and his curse, God now tells Eve that she will have pain in her childbearing. In pain, she'll, she shall bring forth children. Um, ladies who've had babies, they don't have to, you know, have anybody tell them that that's a, a reality today. Uh, but because of sin, because of uh, the curse upon us, this is what was going to be the case for Eve and is still the case for us today. And will be the case until the Lord returns. That in childbearing, there will be pain. It's interesting here, it says that who will multiply your pain in childbearing. Now, one of the things I want us to note before we go any further is that even here, we see God's grace. Remember, the promise was what? If you 
do this, you will die. And so we're being told, even though they didn't admit their sin, it's been a while since we've looked at Genesis, the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, but you'll remember, nobody's admitting that they've sinned, right? They're blaming everybody else. They're not, they're not coming in repentance to God. Instead, they're blaming somebody else. But now God's saying, I'm not going to smite you from the earth. I'm not going to remove you from the earth. That, that, that mandate that I gave you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth you're still going to be doing that. However, it will now be done so in pain. It will be done so in pain. Now, what's interesting about this word here for pain, it's the same word that's used for Adam. A, the, a better word would be uh, toilsome labor. Toilsome labor. This, is, this will be the case for you. Now, what's really important, it won't be just this toilsome labor when you're having the baby. But it will be toilsome labor in being a mom, period. Where am I getting that from? Well, it says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. This word for childbearing, it is better translated conception. From the beginning, you will have pain. And in pain, you shall bring forth children. The idea here is that being a mom will come with pain. It will come with toilsome labor. It will come with anxiety. It will, it will come with struggle for the rest of your life. This idea here of the, the, the conception representing all. Now, there's a fancy English word. I'm going to try to pronounce it. You English people wouldn't understand it. But, sonekdani. Is that right? No, sonekdaki. There we go. That's the worst. I even spell it out phonetically, and I still can't say it. Okay? And, and what that means is that the conception is a part that represents the whole. So, so even the idea of being a mom can come with pain. Uh, Ross puts it like this, meaning from the very beginning of the process, conception, the act of bringing in children into the world will be painful. This is corroborated in the next line that clarifies, in pain you will give birth. There is no reason to limit the pain to childbirth. It refers to the whole process of bearing and rearing children. And as we think about that, as we think about life under the curse and being a mom, the, the, the pain can be long before you ever have a child. As we read through the book of Genesis, as we're going to study the book of Genesis, we will get to Sarah for years, for decades. She wanted to be a mom, but she was never able to be a mom, not until late in life. Uh, we read the same thing happened to Rebecca. She was barren for 20 years before she was able to have a child. And still today, we know of people who they really desire to have a baby, but for whatever reason, God decided they would not. And that's painful. It's part of life under the curse. And then there is having a baby. You're, you're, you, you've conceived and you're excited. And then there's the pain of a miscarriage. Never getting to meet that child. Many of you here have experienced the joy of the child coming into this world. We just got to meet a couple of new lads here this morning. I came through pain. 
the child being delivered, and then there's the sleepless nights. There is the I don't know what to do nights when the child won't stop crying. You you're, you're, you're frustrated. You're you're trying to figure out what to do, and then there is sending them off to school and hearing about all the problems that they encountered at school and coming home and doing the Deuteronomy 6 thing of teaching them the word wherever they go. And they become teenagers and you're like, I, I'm not sure who this child is anymore. You know, and, and then you're kind of at the cusp of where we're at right now. Is three weeks from now, Gabs is um, uh, going to go to New Zealand and that's going to be an awesome thing for her. And we're super excited for her to go to Cape and Ray and uh, continue her walk with the Lord. But there's something about pain involved in that as a mom and a dad. This is life under the curse. Some of your greatest joys are being a mom and a dad. You'll note and a dad. And I'm going to bring that up in a moment. And then there's some of your greatest pains are part of being a mom and a dad. Coming on, that you, you don't need to, anybody to teach you to love your children. As soon as you see that little scutter, even, even before, long before you see them, right? You're, you're just like, I love them. I don't know, is it a boy or a girl? I, I love them. And then you see them and you instantly fall in love with them and you will do anything for them for all of their days. But it comes with pain and it comes with suffering. And this morning, I know that some of you here are hurting because you're a parent. And I want to just encourage you that you're not alone, that this is reality. Even in the best of situations, it's still super hard. But for some of you, it's really hard right now. And can I just encourage you in a couple ways? Can I, can I encourage you, maybe younger moms, to get together with some older moms and just say, hey, what, what did you do? Like, show me from the scriptures. Like, what, what did you do? How, how would you, what would you recommend I do in this situation? Like, you've been through this and you're still standing and your child is still alive. And so that's a, I, I want to follow you. Like, what did you do? Right? And, and, and so get people around you, pray together, weep together, wrestle together. That's part of the gift that God has given us in Christ, in the body of Christ. And, and, and then husbands. Now, it's interesting. The curse to Eve still impacts the guys, and the curse to Adam still impacts the gals. But there is... A specific thing, as a general rule, the gals are home all day with the kiddos. They, they bear the brunt of the responsibility of it. And so men, does that mean that you kind of like, they raise the kids, we make the money. Is that, is that how it works? No, that's not how it works. In fact, as we already read in Ephesians 6, 4 this morning, it says, what fathers, right, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When you get home, men, you do not throw up your feet on the couch and say, you know, serve me, lady. Like, that's, that won't go well. I don't know if you've tried that or not, but that won't go well, and it ought not to go well, because your wife has been working hard all day long as well, 
in raising children, and so you have the responsibility to see them raised up in the, in the instruction of the Lord as well. And so you come alongside and you say, hey, what can I do to help? And, and, and um, I remember when our kids were especially small and I was at seminary and I was working 20 hours a week and full-time studies and it was really hard. But to be able to come alongside Heather and say, yeah, what mom was saying earlier, that is right. This is what the scriptures say. I'm with her in this and I'm instructing you in the same way was such a joy to be able to do in those early years. And still today, we still have the same responsibility together. And so husbands, come alongside your wives in this. As we've already been reminded this morning as well, parenting is a 24-7 job. Uh, There is no time off. But it is something that the Lord has called us to, and whatever He calls us to, He also equips us to do it. And so in the pains, you go to the Lord and receive His comfort, And when you do not want to do, you go to the Lord and receive his wisdom. You find his wisdom in his word, and you receive help from the body of Christ. But because of sin, in life, under the curse, we experience the pain of motherhood. The second thing that we experience is the the conflict in marriage. The conflict in marriage. It says in the second half of verse 16, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, there's been a whole lot of ink spilled on this one verse, right? What does that mean? Your desire will be for your husband. That's what some of your translations say. In fact, my older ESV, that's what it said. Your desire will be for your husband. The New American Standard says the same thing. The NIV says the same thing. The uh, New Living Translation says your desire will be to control your husband. So what is it? Now, the reason that it's tough to know is because this word for desire is only used three times in the Old Testament. It can be used in the positive and it can be used in the negative. Some people believe it is in the positive sense. Now, he's just said, you're going to have pain in being a mom, but positively, your desire will be for your husband. You won't run from the pain. You will still fulfill the mandate, and he will lead over you. He shall rule over you, uh, as was the mandate from Genesis 1 and 2. He will lead your home. So they would see this in a positive way. The reason that they would say that is from Song of Solomon, uh, one of the other two times this is used. It says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And so what the the text is saying here is uh, that there's this positive attraction to uh, to the person. So in this case, Eve would be attracted to Adam. Not just sexually, but in every way. That she would desire to be one with him in raising up children and he would lead the home. And there are, there are some really godly people who believe that to be the case. That that would be the translation. But there are others who are saying, no, the desire here is actually negative. Which is what you see if you have the newer translation of the ESV. That, 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 that her desire will be contrary to her husband's. And for those who think that... They see it from Genesis 4-7. You can just look uh, a page over in your, trans, in, your, in your Bibles. But it says this, Genesis 4-7. If you do well, now this is Cain 
He's, he's not in a good spot here. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, what makes this perhaps a better lens to which to translate Genesis 3.16 is that, number one, Moses is the one who's writing it. Number two, we see that both desire and rule are here in this verse. And, and, and then number three, it's within an immediate context of Genesis 3.16. So I think this is the better lens to which we would understand it. And so when we see that her desire would be for a husband, I think it is right what the ESV has tried to do to bring out the meaning. It would mean that she would not want to follow him. That, that her desire will be contrary to her husband's. That she would want to lead versus her husband. This will be the curse upon her. This natural thing within her is like, he's a moron. I don't want to follow him. I'm going to go my way. That would be her natural inclination. And in the same way that God told Cain that he must fight that inclination, Eve now will need to fight that inclination in her. That, that, that she will need to say no to that and then instead allow her husband to rule over her. In other words, it will be hard for the woman because she'll want to control the situation, but she must fight, the, fight that and submit to his leadership. Kidner puts it like this, to love and cherish becomes to, to desire and to dominate. While even pagan marriages can rise far above this, the pull of sin is always towards it. And so you can see that there would be this conflict in marriage as a result of the curse. Now, I think in Genesis 3.16, the husband ruling over is just a, it's in the positive. That he would fulfill his role that God had given him. However, to rule over, we know from the last, you know, thousands of years of history that man can also sin and what seek to dominate the woman not just rule over but but dominate the woman and so um, it doesn't take long to look around our society and see people in both camps right to think that you should submit to your husband i mean what a neanderthal thinking right like that, that is so ridiculous. Like who would ever say that that's something to do? That's kind of the way we would think in Canada, right? In other cultures, men are here, women are here, and you know, men rule the day. That's, that's what they would teach. But the Bible teaches something contrary to both of those. And as we get into the New Testament, we see God saying, look, I know there's going to be conflict, but here's what you need to do. Colossians 3.19, husbands, Colossians 3.19, man, you may want to write that one down, Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And why is that in there? Because God knows our tendency to be harsh, to lead harshly. And so he's saying, do not do that, but love your wives. And then Ephesians 5 is a, is a, a picture perfect description of what God is calling us to do here. Uh, 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 an answer to Genesis 3. Men are to lead, but how are they to lead? Lovingly. 
They are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He laid down his life for the church. He, was, he loved her sacrificially. If that was not enough instruction, Paul continues and says that husbands are to love their wives as themselves. They are to be other-centered in their love, in their leadership of their wives. And then it says to the wives that they are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. As I trust the Lord, as I trust Christ, I submit under my husband. I do it as unto him. I do it as an act of worship to him. This is, as believers, this is how we fight the curse. The curse is, is something that's on every one of us. We live in a world that, that is still manifesting this curse. And so if you were to have victory over a conflict in your marriage, turn to Ephesians 5 and walk accordingly. If you have conflict, anybody have conflict this last week in your marriage? Anyone? Okay. <laughs> now, now, it's reality under the curse, life under the curse. The world sometimes teaches that that's not the case. If you have conflict, well, I guess you don't love each other anymore, and you should just move on and, and find that relationship where you have no conflict. Well, guess what? That doesn't exist. Two sinners living together will have conflict. And the only way to avoid that conflict is to walk in humility towards one another and to keep Christ as your focus. The moment that changes, you have conflict, right? And, and so, in order to get rid of that conflict, you admit, first of all, that you are both sinners. No, you don't point the other one. <laughs> hey, hon, you're a sinner. You should repent. That's not what you should do. You should recognize, like, I, hey, I need to take a time out. I've, I've sinned here. I need to figure out how I've sinned. <laughs> so, you know, at the moment, you're like, I'm perfect. I didn't do anything. No, you've done something. Figure that out. Confess it, repent of it one, with one another, and then walk with, with one another again in the Lord, right? If you're going to make it in your marriage, you will need to continually confess and grant forgiveness towards one another. And, and you need to fight in order to do that. <laughs> this is kind of a double meaning there, isn't it? <laughs> okay. You're going to need to fight to maintain peace because you will naturally fight, right? And so God understands that we live life under the curse, but he has given us the tools and the help in order to mitigate that in our lives. And one of the things that's important especially for new people, uh, new newlyweds, is to understand that this is part of living life under the curse. And one of the things they did in Chicago uh, when I was there, it was, a, it was a big church, and so they would just say, hey, any newlyweds, which there was always lots of them in a big church, they would say, you're going to be in this small group, and we're going to put you with a couple who's been married for 20, 25 years, and, and they're gonna, you're just going to go through a year together. And and what was so powerful about that is that the couples that thought, well, I guess I, guess, I don't think our marriage isn't going to make it, 
they would, they would come to small group and they would recognize, oh, wait a minute, we have all the same problems. And as someone who has done a fair amount of marital counseling over the years, I would say this, almost all the problems are the same. It's, it's you know, when, when you come in, it's, it's not like, it's like, oh, this one's so unique. No, we all wrestle in the same ways. And so recognize that this is life under the curse, but God can help you and will help you as you look to him. Thirdly, in life under the curse, we experience the toil at work. The toil at work, right? Oh, home, I mean, look, I mean, parenting, marriage, it's hard. I'm going to go to work. There'll be peace there. Is that how that works? That's not how that works, right? We see now Adam's... Um, Adam's curse. And again, as I, as I mentioned, uh, Eve's curse more on be fruitful and multiply. Adam's curse is now more related to having dominion over the earth. It will be, you still continue to do, you're supposed to still do that, but now it will be hard. Uh, verse 17, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And the New Testament makes it clear that Adam was not deceived as Eve was. But what? He still ate. And we see here the reason he ate is he listened to his wife. He, he decided that he would rebel against God. This was his choice. And as a result of that, eating now will have problems. Do you note that? As you read verses 17, 18, 19, five times the word eat is brought up. Because you ate first time, eating is not going to be easy. You see it four more times, the word for eat. The, the, the consequence for sin is easy to see, right? Because you ate, here's how eating will work from now on. You will have, again, same word, toilsome labor. No longer will it be easy to work the ground. Walkie says this, the man's natural relationship to the ground matches up with what he had done. Four times it is mentioned, or sorry, the man's natural relationship to the ground to rule over it is reversed. Instead of submitting to him, it resists and eventually swallows him. That's a great way of putting it, right? Walkie says this, again, let me say that. The man's natural relationship to the ground, to rule over it, that's what his job was, is now reversed. Instead of it submitting to him, it resists and eventually swallows him. What does that mean? Eventually we return to the dust. Eventually we are buried back in the ground. This is the curse to Adam and is still the curse that remains today. Anguish and frustration now will come with his work. We see in verse 18 that thorns and thistles it shall now bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Anybody like, like puttering around in your yard, right? You, you know, that, that two months that we get every year, <laughs> and where stuff actually grows, you know, and you're, you know, you're so excited, and you plant, but like weeds, you don't have to do anything for them to come up, Right? They just come up. They so, it's so easy. It's still today, thorns and, and thistles, they, they come up naturally out of the ground and they fight 
that which is good for food. There's this curse that's over the ground. And if you do not work hard, your produce will be a whole lot less. And sometimes maybe even nothing there if you do not work hard. In Proverbs 24, again, just encourage you to write these verses down and look at them for yourself later. But Proverbs 30, 24, we, we see this picture of somebody who doesn't work the ground, who is a sluggard. Verses 30 to 34 the writer of Proverbs says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, listen, he was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If you do not work hard, the default is, is that you get nothing. You, you come to poverty. Now, in the city of Calgary, there's not a whole lot of you associated with farming here. There may be a few, but there's, there's not a lot. So does that mean that we don't have to work hard with our jobs? Does that mean that you don't have any problems at your workplace? Well, I, I think the curse has spread into all of our workplaces. That what it says in verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread is true for all of us. The fields of the earth still require a lot of work if we are to eat. Uh, there are not many, or sorry, there, sorry, the fields of the earth still require a lot of work if we are to eat. And so our jobs is, is the same. We still need to work hard in our jobs. Anybody here on Monday morning have problems getting out of bed? Or are you just like, yeah, I get to go to work again today. It's so good. I mean, that weekend stuff, I wish that would just go away so I could just work all the time. That would be great. Like, why is it so hard sometimes to get out of bed? Because it's hard. Work is hard. You make plans, and they don't turn out. You have an idea for a project, and it turns out not to be a great idea. You have conflict with your employees, with your, with your fellow employees, your employers. I think this is, again, something that's really important for us to keep in mind. God has not guaranteed us to have any kind of workplace where there be no problems. I mean, back, it wasn't so long ago, a generation or two ago, you started the job when you're 18, and you'd quit when you're, tw when you're 65, right? If you asked your, your grandpa if you liked his job, you're like, what are you talking about? It was work. He didn't have any expectations to get any great fulfillment out of it, right? He was just like, I, want, I need to provide for my family. And so by the sweat of his brow, he, he did his job. He worked hard. But now we're being told, no, no. No, no, you should be fulfilled. You should have so much joy. Like, you know that? You don't have that. Quit your job. Quit your job. Quit your job. I mean... You hit 35 years old and you're on your like 10th career, right? Like that's, that's kind of the new way. But I, but I think it's because of this false idea that we should continually have this some sense of fulfillment from our work. Now, before I, I mean, you see a lot of people looking at me like, how dare you? 
Maybe you should quit your job and do something different. I'm not telling you you shouldn't do that. But I would say if you're looking for a job where you'll have no problems, where every day will be joyful, that doesn't exist. And so what you should do instead is say, Lord, I want to work in the place where I can be the greatest witness for you, a a place that I can provide for my family, and I know that it will be hard. And by the sweat of my brow, I will provide for my family because this is what you said will be the case until you return. But it's important for us to remember that there is a time where this will be no more. Romans 8, 19 to 22 says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of creation has been groaning. The earth has been groaning. Uh, We see the the, the world is groaning even today. But one day when Christ returns, that will be all done away with. So in the pain, remember the promise. Remember the promise. Monday morning rolls around. Remember that this will not be your eternity. This is temporary. And so you... Get up, and you serve the Lord, and they do the best you can. Work hard, and you come home, be with your family, love on them, and do it all over the next day. This is life under the curse. We experience the pain of motherhood, the conflict in marriage, the toil at work, and then lastly, we experience the reality of death. The reality of death. He says that he would continue to wrestle and struggle with his work till, it says, you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember Satan's temptation? Oh, no, God, God's keeping back from you. That's why he told you not to eat from this tree. But if you eat of the tree... You will be like God. And Eve believes that. Is this, did it turn out well for Adam and Eve? I mean, we've already seen the consequences of their sin, and we're still feeling the consequences of that sin today. But they are not God. They're not even close to God. In fact, in this, we're reminded who we really are. We're dust. And to dust we shall return. We, we like to think much of ourselves, don't we? Right? I mean, we have this crazy notion in the world today that if we just give our governments enough money, they're going to change the climate somehow. We're going to control the weather. We're going to... Like, what, like you think about the pride of man and all the, the grandiose ideas that we say that we're going to do, but we're just dust. And one day, we will all die. Every single one of us here. If Christ tarries, we will die. 
You can inject yourself with gallons of Botox. But you're getting older. They can continue to come up with all kinds of great medicines and great surgeries. But eventually, you will die. God can even miraculously heal you of something that you should die of, as he did with King Hezekiah and extended his life. But eventually, you will die. It's all our reality here this morning as a result of sin. Sometimes people are like, you know, what's wrong with the world? It's sin. Sin. That's what's wrong with the world. And as a result of that, we die. Kinder says this, sorrow, sweat, and dust. Answer the fantasy, you will be like God. And lead to the cry, all things are full of weariness. Ecclesiastes 1.8. It's interesting, you just flip a couple of chapters over and you see the reminder. Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. Adam lived, the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he died. Verse 8. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11. All the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. All the days, verse 14, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. One day it will be said of you, all the days of, insert your name, were 80 years. 50 years, none of us know. And then we died. That's our story. Because we are under the curse. This morning, I want us to remember our hope in Christ. That this is our reality. This is the world in which we live. Nobody can argue this. And yet, we have hope this morning Because Christ became a curse for us. Because of God's love for us, because of the promise back in Genesis 3.15, Christ came and experienced life under the curse. Just think about this for a moment with me. Think about Mary. She experienced the pain of motherhood. I mean, her situation was unique. She's having a baby, but guess what? She's never known a man. Joseph knows that, eventually. But nobody else does. And so for her whole life, everybody thinks, oh yeah, that Mary, the sinner Mary, look what she did. She experienced that pain in her life, the pain of a tainted reputation. She carried Jesus in her womb, When it comes time for birth, it's not in some kind of sterilized hospital. It's not in some palace. It's a place where animals are. Jesus is laid in a manger. She knows the the pain of what it was to give birth to him. Then they raise him. And there's that incident when they're 12, and Jesus is 12, right? They're at the temple. They've had a great time together. They take off with all their friends and family, whoever, I guess, came on the trip, and they get a day away, and they start looking for Jesus, and he's not there. 
It took them three days to find Jesus. It says they were greatly distressed. Do you think? Do you think? Like Mary knew the pain of motherhood. Of course, her greatest pain was watching her son die on a cross. Jesus never married when he was on this earth, and so he did not have the conflict in marriage, but it's not like he was spared conflict in this world. Everyone was against him. Yet he walked in perfection. He knew what it was to work hard. He was a carpenter most of his life. I was thinking, you know, I don't think Jesus was like miraculously making his stuff, right? Uh, how long, Jesus, will it take for you to get that built? Right now. Poof, here it is. You know, like that's not how it works, right? He worked hard. By the sweat of his brow, he, he knew what it was to, to work hard. And then, of course, he experienced death on our behalf. It says in Ephesians, or sorry, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The death penalty should not have been over Jesus. He never sinned, not one time, and yet he laid down his life for you and I. He went to the cross, and while he's on the cross, he takes my sin and your sin, and he places it upon himself. He experiences the wrath of God that is due to us because of our sin, and he pays the price for us. And then he's laid in the tomb. He experienced death. He experienced all that there was in this world that is under the curse. He became a curse for us so that we might have life. Of course, we know on the third day, he rose again. He has defeated sin. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated death. And one day soon, he's going to return. And then all pain, all sickness, all sorrow will be gone forevermore. And so as we lose loved ones, we weep, but we do not weep as those without hope. Because all who are in Christ are now, who have departed from this earth, are now with him, having eternal life. And so that is our hope, that is our joy, that one day soon we will be with him. And so, this next week, life will be hard. There is no health and wealth gospel here at this church. You may need to go somewhere else that does not use the Bible. (laughs) But there's hope in Christ. And so we wrestle against this curse that we're under and we bring glory to God as we await his return. Amen? Let me pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for hope in Christ. Lord, we, we only deserve the curse. We only deserve death. And yet, 
this morning, we are so thankful that Christ became a curse for us. That we might be freed from the curse. God, I, I, I'm so thankful that you know every person here this morning. You know the difficulties they face even today. God, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them, that, Lord, you would help them to keep their eyes upon you as they go through this world. Jesus, you told your disciples that in this world, they would have trouble. And so, God, we are so thankful that you've given us the tools that we need to bring you glory and honor as we go through this world. Lord, you've given us your spirit. Lord, you've given us your word. You've given us the body of Christ to go through these things in a way that would bring you honor and glory. So God, help us. Help us as we live in this pain, but help us, Lord, to remember the promise. You're coming back soon. And Lord, as we partake of communion now together, we anticipate that together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.